0: Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.
1: Luke chapter one. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, The baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thanks very much, Nick, for
2: reading. It's nice to see you tonight. Uh, If I haven't met you before, my name's Simon. Uh, People around here call me Jacko. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, and it's uh, my privilege tonight to open up the Word of God. Uh, Over the last uh, five weeks or so, we've been uh, in a series called Common Sense for the Silly Season. We wrapped that up last week with uh, just a thought about how to take a holiday. Um, Anyone else, like anyone go and book a holiday straight away? You know, just feel like I've got to act on that word. You know. Um, I took a bit of advice, I haven't shaved since then, um, so if you don't recognise me, you know, a bit of grey coming through. It used to be red, overnight it went to white. Um, anyway, I think I'm just getting a bit old. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm, I'm really hopeful actually in the new creation there won't be a need to shave. Like I don't really enjoy the process very much. I'm hopeful that's going to be a feature. Um, we'll see when we arrive. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, though, we're in a series called Prepare Him Room. Uh, that's kind of our theme for Christmas this year. Um, it's kind of like a little Adventy kind of season. I, I guess Common Sense for the Silly Season was an Advent series, preparing our hearts for Christmas, Uh, The next couple of weeks, we're in sort of our theme for Christmas this year, Prepare Him Room, just thinking a little bit about uh, the narrative of Christmas uh, in Luke's Gospel, um, and we'll land sort of with the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day, um, as you would expect in some ways. So that's where we're in. We're in Luke chapter 1 for the next couple of weeks. I'm I'm up this week, trans next week. And uh, next week, by the way, we're having dinner together. Uh, That'll be our last... dinner together for the year as a family. So um, do make an effort to come along. Plans are in in force already. Um, Helen, who oversees our food ministry here, uh, I think we're doing Mexican or a version of Mexican. Uh, uh, Helen, just to let you know a bit about Helen, she doesn't really like Christmas very much. She also didn't like Christmas food very much, so when she put up on Slack this afternoon we're going to do Mexican, I thought, no, Helen, let's do like turkey and mince pies and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I didn't, because I love you, I didn't do that. Um, We want to serve you and care for you. Um, But uh, anyway, do come along next week as well for that last one. Um, And uh, also make known our carols gathering uh, for then. I'm going to pray and then we're going to turn our attention to something on the screen. Uh, So let's pray together tonight as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for uh, this night together, uh, this time together, Father, that you've given us uh, to think about your word and to uh, think about Jesus and all that you've done in him and through him and therefore also for us because of him. Uh, Lord, tonight we just pray as we prepare our hearts to receive Jesus afresh this Christmas, Uh, Lord, please write your words on our hearts tonight by your Spirit. Father, we pray that your Spirit would be at work tonight taking your Word and helping us to see Jesus, helping us to hear Jesus, and Lord, ultimately helping us all here tonight to love Jesus. And we pray this for Jesus' renown and for our good and our joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a look at the screen. Oh like that. I love, the, uh, I love the song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It's an, an old hymn that's been sort of reworked, but I love the imagery of that as, uh, yeah, we sort of focus our hearts and our minds' attention on Jesus this Advent. Um, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. I, I, we listen to that and we go, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. But at the same time, as I think about Christmas, right, so much of this time of year is predictable, right? It's a pretty predictable time of year. Every year, the same sort of stuff happens. Have you noticed that? Every year, this time of year rolls around, the same sort of stuff happens. You drive down the street, a few people are hanging red bows on their gates. Uh, I drive down Prospect Road, the council's put red bows on pretty much every sort of stoby pole there is, etc. The same sort of stuff happens. Um, you know, the decorations, every year, decorations go up in the shops around the same time. I reckon it's after the October long weekend that we start seeing decorations pop up in Coles and Woolworths and Aldi and things like that. Every time, every year, this time of year, the advertiser prints pretty much the same story. I reckon they just pull it out of the archives. This is going to be the hottest summer on record, um, and. Uh Sometimes it's like not like that, but anyway, it comes out. Um, Every year, there'll be an article printed somewhere online or in the press, you know, young pastor stands up and tells kids that Santa Claus is not real, and there's all the fallout from that. Every year, a group of B-list pop stars get together, and they re-record or re-release a Christmas album, Um, I don't know, to save the whales, or save the children, or save the children from the whales, I don't know, Um, happens... (laughs) Every year, every year, right, we buy more and more gifts. $11 billion we as Australians spent last year on Christmas gifts alone. I'm told every year the amount of stuff we buy for Christmas online just increases and increases. Deloitte Access Economics tells us that this year we're going to buy 18% more of our gifts online than we did last year. And yet, right, Amazon every time comes out and says... No one's spending enough money on our website. We don't have to pay any tax. It's really interesting. I just, we're not going to get into politics. But uh the playlist is the same every year at Christmas time, right? Even tonight we played t- we're gonna play two Christmas carols, right? The carols we're gonna sing next on Saturday um, over on the lawns of the Adelaide Lutheran College, those carols, right, will be pretty much the same carols that were sung here in this building, the first Christmas that opened back in 1962 they yeah, the same carols that will be, will be, will be, were sung when the cathedral down in North Adelaide was opened on June the 29th, 1869. Sure, our carols will be a bit drummier, a bit more guitar and things like that, but they're pretty much the same. You know, we're in this season called Advent. For those who have no idea what that season actually is or what that actually means, it's a season where we are waiting for the coming of Jesus. But again, right, it's no great surprise. Um, we know this is, um, this is our Advent calendar. Anyone else do an Advent calendar? Oh, great. One person. That's excellent. Right. Um, good on you, Ben. We'll, we'll compare our calendars after church tonight. This is our Advent calendar, which... Adele and I admit, we're not doing very well with it, right? So we're not the model Advent calendar followers. But like, you know, you you go day one, 1st of December, you work your way through to, you know, through to 24. And then, you know, this one's a bit of a dud because you don't have 25 on it, right? Like, so it's, you know, it doesn't quite work. But like, effectively, on the last day of Advent, on any calendar, right, you open the door or you pull out the thing. And what you'll discover in there, probably because it's modern day Advent calendars, you'll probably find a chocolate Luke Skywalker in there. I reckon they Days, but behind him will be this beautiful picture of a stable with Mary and Joseph looking particularly radiant, surrounded by fantastically perfect looking clean farm animals, and then a little baby Jesus. We know exactly what to expect, it is kind of predictable. So so Advent, I think, can be a little bit like adult gift giving, right? You know, your parents come up to you and say, Carl, what can I get you for Christmas? And you go, actually, look, I'll just buy it myself. Um, I'll find it cheaper online. Actually, Amazon will have it cheaper online this year. So you choose the gift, you buy it, they pay you back, you give it to them, they wrap it for you, and on Christmas Day, they give it to you, and you play that charade, right? Oh, wow, this is so good. I didn't know how you you knew what I wanted. Incredible. Incredible. You know, my dad, right, my dad the other day says to me, son, um, you've got a few weeds around here in the backyard, you need one of those pump sprayers, and I'm like, okay, great, you know, I was really happy to go to Bunnings and just buy the pre-packaged spray stuff, you know, pay a bit extra, but it's pretty convenient, what I'll do, i got this text message from him the other day, Simon, I'll buy you a pump sprayer for Christmas with the zero, and I'll give it to you for that, I'm like, great, practical gift, then I get another text message, I've already got it for you, and I'm like, right, you can come and pick it up. And I'm like, what? You know, and then because he knows that I'm useless and I won't pick it up, he then delivers it with my mum and says, here you go. I'm like, what's with that? Anyway, that's my own problems. It's like, yeah, anyway, the truth is, right, the truth is that the true message of, you know, so much of Christmas is predictable. But you see, the true message of Christmas is kind of unexpected. It's actually really surprising, and it's actually a little bit unsettling, I reckon. You get behind the predictability, you get behind the familiarity, and you'll find a fairly odd and surprising time. Christmas is a time of year, right, when we celebrate how God has come to invade the world, our world that's been occupied by forces of decay and selfishness and evil and death. And God chooses to make his invasion point into this world, his bridgehead as it were, not through Rome, not even through Jerusalem, but he's invaded the world through the belly of a peasant woman in a nowhere town in the dusty north of Israel, 2,000 years ago. Actually, nothing's quite expected about Christmas. So, for the next few minutes, I just want us to look with fresh eyes at this story of Christmas, the beginning of the story of Christmas, uh, through the scriptures, but particularly through the eyes of Mary, the woman who, this peasant woman through whom God invaded the world, and see what she sees, feel what she feels. In this first Christmas. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, and in particular just verses 46 through to 56. That's what we're going to do. So please have it open in front of you. There'll be words on the screen, but it'd be great if you had a Bible. There are Bibles in the pews around us. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. So I want to look at the beginning of, the, of this little song, the end of the song, and then zoom into the middle um, to see the wonderful surprises that there are at this Christmas Message. Now, a bit of context right before we get to the song. We need to know a little bit about the context. How do we get to Mary's song? And basically say, well, we get to Mary's song because of the whole of the Bible up until that point. The opening pages of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates this world. He creates us. He creates us to enjoy the world, to live under his loving rule. And then humanity rejects God. We reject the God who is light and love and life. A bad thing to do, right, for us to reject the God who is light and life and love. And because what happens is when we reject God who is light and love and life, we end up with a world of darkness and death and discord. And this is where humanity is. It's where humanity is when, when Mary sings this song. It's where humanity is even today. And the surveys play it out, right? So darkness, dis- discord, and death. We see it in the surveys, So darkness, right, 75% of us, we're told, 75% of us in this country admit that the profile of us online is nothing like the reality of our actual lives. We present something, but cover up the darker parts. And when it comes to discord, right, again, the statistics wonderfully play it out. Get this, people measure this stuff, I'll tell you. On average, when do you think the first argument takes place, on average, in Australian family homes on Christmas Day? What time of the day? It's 9.58 a.m. On average, that's when the first argument takes place in family homes on Christmas Day. The first time, on average, parents shout at their children on Christmas Day, it's 11.07 a.m. in the morning. No coincidence, I reckon, then, that the first alcoholic beverage is consumed about 40 minutes later at 11.49am. We are five times, families are five times more likely to argue and fight on Christmas Day than any other day in the year. But they're the stats, right? And, you know, behind the weirdness of those stats is the reality of the discord that we sort of endure on the day when we're supposed to be celebrating peace and joy and hope. Darkness and discord, and then of course the ultimate statistic, right? Death. One out of one of us will die. We live in a world full of darkness and discord and death, but God is committed to redeeming us. God is committed to restoring and redeeming his dark, discord, death-ridden creation. And the whole of the Old Testament The whole of the story of the Old Testament from Genesis through to Malachi to this period we're about to go into now is the story of God's stubborn commitment to to that mission, to restore creation, to restore you and me. His relentless commitment to bless, to bring us back, to forgive us, to rescue us, to restore us. And by this stage in the story of God's salvation project, we're about three quarters the way through, looks like God ought to sort of just give up start afresh. But he does something utterly unthinkable. He does something truly radical. He does something pretty subversive. You see, while humanity was kind of determined just to sort of wallow in the darkness and the discord and the death, what does God do? He becomes one of us to save all of us. He becomes one of us to save all of us. And then we come to this song of Mary. The first thing we see in the song of Mary is that Jesus brings disruption and he brings delight. Verses 46 to 49. Have a look with me. Jesus brings disruption and he brings delight. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant." From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. The old Latin kind of name for this poem or for this song of praise of Mary is called the Magnificat. Um, Some of you may have heard the term, the Magnificat. Her words are not well known today, right? But I, I think we would do well to sort of sing them again and embrace them. Magnificat, it comes from the, the Latin word for to glorify, to make great. Literally, she sings, my soul will make God great. It's not the kind of song I reckon that Donald Trump's going to sing, right? You know, make America great. Like she, Mary's like, no, make God great. I want to make great his praises. That's Mary. Why? Because she realizes she's a nobody. She sings, I deserve deserve nothing and yet God has raised me up and blessed me with this son. For the rest of humanity, human history, sorry, people will remember how God has blessed me. Mary sings with joy, she sings with astonishment. Why? Because she's celebrating the fact that the promise that she received from the angel, that she will bear a son, has actually come to pass. She will give birth to a son and so she sings. Now this is wonderful, right? But it's really disruptive. For Mary, she's she's pregnant with someone else's baby. God's action is devastatingly disruptive in her life. But but look at Mary, She, she considers herself blessed, happy. The mighty one has done great things for me. She delights in what God has done. And that's because of who the child will be. She's not pregnant because she's been cheating on Joseph. She's pregnant because God's Holy Spirit is enabling her to give birth to God the Son, Emmanuel, God with us. And brothers and sisters, this is the greatest miracle of all the miracles. Of all the times God in history has broken into the natural laws that he set in place, this is perhaps the most profound you know, you wind back in history, right? God breaks into the natural laws that He has set in place and He parts the Red Sea. Why? So that His people, Israel, can walk out from slavery and oppression in Egypt all the way to the promised land to enjoy the favor of God. You know, we see in the scriptures God turns the hearts of kings. And yet, here is perhaps the most profound miracle of all miracles the uncontainable creator shrinks himself into a bunch of cells in a womb. The unimaginably mighty sovereign Lord becomes almost unbearably fragile and vulnerable and weak. Mary will give birth to a human baby, but at the same time, it is God enfleshed. Disruption and delight is what we encounter at the first Christmas. And you know what? Jesus does the same thing today. 2,000 years later, when you put your trust in Jesus, Christ, you know, you'll, you'll find that he brings serious disruption to your life, but also tremendous delight, just as he did to Mary, just as he's done to millions and millions of men, women and children since Jesus rose from the grave. Um, you know that we have our little City Light um, office down in the little city uh, office down on Prospect Road and, and there's about 30 or so of us who work in that office doing various different things, doing various different businesses. And uh, we had our Christmas party um, as the little city, the citizens of the little city got together and we celebrated Christmas um, in the city. And uh, I walked into this event um, kind of thinking, I think tonight's going to be the night where everyone asks me, what the heck is a pastor doing in this office? You know, I was kind of prepared. And sure enough, I sat down with people, the person on my right, the person on my left, I won't give you their names because you might bump into them, Adelaide's a small place, but um, we sat down and bam, straight away, so so Simon, what do you actually do? And I'm like, don't really know, no, um, you know, (laughs) what do you actually do? Why are you actually here? You know, rah, rah, and it was sort of on. It It was friendly, you know, it wasn't like, you know, throwing darts at me and things like that, but it was friendly. But there was one guy who was sitting like opposite me at the table. Um, we'll call him Nathan. And uh, Nathan, Nathan sort of asked me, he goes, Simon, what do you, like I asked him, what does he do? He's a wine merchant, etc. And then he goes, what do you do, Simon? I said, I'm a pastor of a church in North Adelaide. Why are you in the little city? So, the, you know, I sort of had a pretty well-worked answer by this time, so I sort of rolled that one out. And then he goes, okay, I understand that, but like, why are you a follower of Jesus? Really interesting question, right? And um, I think I gave him a very unsatisfactory answer, right? Because the rest of the night, he kept coming up to me and saying, why, why do you follow Jesus? You know, I just played a game of foosball with one of the other colleagues in the office, and we lost and sort of a bit downcast. And he comes up, like, I turn around, bam, whoa, he's there. You know, like, I still, I still can't work out, Simon, why you're a follower of Jesus. And you know what? I just said to him, I said, I became a follower of Jesus when I was about 21, And I never expected to. You know, I was never, I wasn't, you know, kind of thinking, yeah, like I'm going to become a Christian when I'm 21. I was, like my life was disrupted by Jesus. And it was disrupted. And and, and since becoming a Christian, my life has been, there's been good moments, there have been really hard moments. But it's been overwhelmingly delightful. Disrupted, but then full of delight. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you'll find that your life will be disrupted. But you'll also experience delight now and ultimately in the new creation like you've never experienced before, just like Mary. So Jesus brings with him disruption and delight. Secondly, Jesus is long promised and yet totally unexpected. This comes in verses 54 to 55 down the end. Have a look with me. Chapter one, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. When you come across the Bible and it mentions about God remembering to be merciful, just a real quick point there. It's not like he's forgotten. You know, oh, yeah, that's right. I made some promises. I better kind of keep them. It's, it's a way of talking about he fulfilled, he, was, he remembered. But anyway, you know, about 2,000 years before Christ, God promised a man named Abraham, you'll know this pretty well, and he promised a man named Abraham that through him, through his descendants, God would bless the world and he would reverse the curse of sin. Through Abraham, one of his descendants would be the solution to all our problems, the answer to all our darkness and discord and our death that we wrestle with on a daily basis. So starting with Abraham, God makes literally dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of promises about how he will rescue and restore us, how he'll send a mighty king to protect us. God's prophecies, you find them all the way through the, the Old Testament tell us so many things about this Saviour to come, this Rescuer, tells us that the Saviour will be born of a virgin, that this Saviour will be born in Bethlehem, would live and grow up in Galilee up north, that this one born of a virgin would grow up to, to heal the sick. He would stun the crowds with his authoritative teaching, that he'd be rejected by the rulers of the day, tried by the leaders of God's people, killed as a criminal, Buried in a tomb of a rich man, and that he would rise again to new life, crushing sin and smashing death once and for all. Every single one of those predictions, all those prophecies are fulfilled in the life and the person and the work of Jesus. Every single one. God never changes. God never fails to deliver on his word. We heard that in the opening part of Luke chapter one we had read today. Not one of the promises of God has ever failed, amen? Not one of the promises of God has ever failed. But at the same time, God is full of surprises. And the fulfillment of his promises are somewhat unexpected. No one sort of seemed to see it coming. For Jesus looks so ordinary, ordinary from a pretty much a nothing family, born in a kind of nowhere village, and yet this ordinary baby, this ordinary boy, would grow up to be an ordinary carpenter, and yet he is God's long-promised saviour. Totally unexpected. Speaking of unexpected things, um, I don't know if you know, I think Tran will know this, because um, he knows a lot. Um, but in 2009, um, someone invented a new currency, uh, a new currency to help the world do business kind of better. Um, this guy, right, he was bored writing code. I don't even know how to write code, so I can't even get bored writing code, but he was bored writing code, and so he decided to kind of write and develop an, a new currency. I have no idea how you do that, by the way. I don't even know why you'd want to invent a new currency, and they called it Bitcoin. Yeah, they called it Bitcoin. Anyone heard of Bitcoin? Any, keep your hand up if you understand how it works. Yeah, there you go. Oh, here we go. A couple of people. Anyway, the first recorded Bitcoin transaction online happened in 2010. A guy named Laszlo Chaniec, uh, a software developer, he bought two Papa John's pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoins. In part, right, confirming the eating habits of software developers, right? You know, like they're just in dark places, crunching code. But like one Bitcoin today, right, is worth eleven thousand Australian dollars. So Laszlo paid one hundred and eight million dollars for two pizzas. I mean, they messed. I like pizza, right? But that must have been pretty good pizza, right? No. But if you'd been there, right? If you'd been there at that first Christmas, you would have seen nothing special, right? Let's be honest. Like every other newborn that's born, unless you're the mum and dad, you go, yep, just another baby. Woof. Nothing special about him. But you would never look at this Jesus and go, wow, he's the answer to all the world's problems. He's the most disruptive and the most delightful figure of all human history. Now, I don't know. I'm not sure when the Bitcoin bubble will burst. That might be opening up wounds for you there, Tran. Um, But for 2,000 years, for 2,000 years, Jesus' bubble has not burst. Those who've realised his worth those who realize that this ordinary baby at Bethlehem, that he's an unbeatable investment. Why? Because today, he still has the power to forgive sins. Today, Jesus still has the power to wipe away your shame. Today, Jesus has the power to deal with the guilt that you're experiencing right now. Still today, Jesus has the power to safely guide you through death. Today, Jesus still has the power to safely see you through to eternal life and where you'll enjoy him forever. And God hasn't changed. His character is unchanging. You can rely on him to be who he says he is. He will always be loving, always just, always holy, always true, You'll always be merciful. You'll always be mighty. But his ways are always fresh and surprising. Do you know what? It's never dull living with this God as your God. It's never dull. Just as an aside right there, again, I'm breaking the rules by talking about things that aren't in front of me. Um, When I was at Bible college, um, my principal there, Dr. John Woodhouse, um, super wise guy, lovely guy, beautiful pastoral heart. Um, he once said to me, or us in the class once, he said, whenever you read the Bible, whenever you open the Bible, no matter how long the passage is that you're reading, you should always be surprised. You should always be surprised by what you read. You know, surprised because of just how amazing God is. Surprised at how, how challenging His Word is. Surprised how God's word confronts the surrounding culture around us and pushes us to think differently. You know, it's never dull living with this God as your God. But always, sadly, his saviour Jesus will be ignored and discounted by many. So an engaged girl, getting pregnant, that's good news. A major disruption brings untold delight. A saviour promise for 2,000 years is a little bit unexpected. But then at the heart of the passage, the heart of this Song of Mary, we see that the message of Christmas isn't just surprising, it actually turns the world upside down. So Jesus turns the world upside down. Look at me, look with me at, at verse 50 and following. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He has filled he has sorry brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Just really quickly, when Mary sings of the mercy, his mercy extends to those who fear him. The word there for mercy is the word chesed, uh, which is the Hebrew word, which basically conveys Um, His mercy, his loving kindness, his loyal love, his faithfulness extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. In the gospel of Mary's son, God brings some down and raises others up. That's the central theme of Mary's song. And I reckon when Mary is articulating this song, when she's thinking about what does it mean to glorify God, what does it mean to praise Him, I think she's thinking of many of the Psalms which have this kind of language in them. So if you've got your Bible there, turn open with me to Psalm 100, Psalm 100. Back in your Bible, back in the Old Testament, Psalm 100. She's dwelling on how God has been faithful to His promises to her, giving her a son, as she reflects on God's chesed, loving kindness, faithfulness, loyal love that extends to generation after generation. I think she's thinking of these particular psalms. Psalm 100, where the the psalmist writes, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture." Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Here it is, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And if you turn forward just to Psalm 103, you see this Psalm, I won't read the whole thing, but it's just littered with this sort of language of God's faithfulness. David opens Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your mouth is renewed like the eagle's. In verse 15, As for man, as for woman, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and this place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. I think Mary, as she's reflecting on the goodness and the beauty and the promise-keeping nature of God, she's reflecting on the songs that God's people would sing day in, day out. Reflecting on God's chesed love, his faithfulness throughout generations. And she's reflecting here on how God exercises his good and perfect power to bring down the mighty and to lift up the lowly. And we see here, rulers are brought crashing down and a refugee is put on the throne. The starving, displaced person is seated at the feast, the banquet table of God, while the wealthy, whose fridges are full to overflowing, are sent away starving, hungry, empty. These are just like pictures, right? They're they're metaphors. But yes, they are pictures, but they're actually a picture of the reality that Jesus would live out in his adult life. So the reliable historical accounts we have of Jesus' life recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we see Jesus, God's saviour, God with us, Spending time with with prostitutes, spending time with traitors, with tax collectors, with sinners, with petty thieves. They're the people that Jesus hung out with. But he rejected the religious leaders and the, the self serving political kind of power players of the day. He taught that in his kingdom, many people who were last would be first. And many who were first in this life would be last or even excluded. And if you wind forward through Luke's gospel, when Jesus, the saviour of the world, dies on a bloody cross as the climax of the mirthly mission of Jesus, who's next to him? A death row criminal who finds forgiveness and eternal life. And the religious leaders watching all this going on just simply confirm their eternal condemnation. It's, however, it's not, a, like, it's not a socialist manifesto that Jesus comes with. Although I think when Mary sings this song, she has in mind that with Christ coming, he will one day fix all the social wrongs in the world. He will bring justice and establish justice forever. I think he's definitely thinking that. But the key issue is Mary's reflecting on what Jesus has brought is that it's, she's concerned about what's going on in the heart. Luke 151 gets that. Have a look. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. For Mary, the issue is not economic wealth or poverty. The problem is the attitude that so often goes with them. You know, wealth and security and success are often kind of will breed in us a sense of pride and entitlement. And so the reversal, the, the upside-downness that Mary sings about here is not economic, sort of turning upside down, it's spiritual. Uh, Christopher Ashe, in his devotional on this very passage, writes this. Always in the gospel of Mary's son, God lifts up the humble. People with nothing to contribute. People who look unimpressive. People who are morally messed up. People who are hungry, who as Mary's son will later say, hunger and thirst for righteousness. But these are the people God will fill with good things. If that's how you feel this Christmas. Take heart. God promises to fill you with good things. If you're here tonight as someone who belongs to Mary's son, who belongs to Jesus through faith in him, remember, like her, you are an undeserving nobody. I don't know how quickly, at least I forget really quickly, how often we forget, right? That our, our talents and our exam results and our success in sport or work or in family count for nothing. And yet, God, in His grace and His mercy, has reached down to us, as He did to the lowly Mary, and blessed us in Mary's Son with every spiritual blessing. But there's another side to Mary's song. I think it'd be remiss for me to not talk about it tonight. There's the the raising up of the lowly, but there's also this bringing down of the prideful. Those who deep in their inmost thoughts are proud will be scattered, scattered a bit like the proud builders of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. I don't know, pride takes forms in all kinds of ways, right? There's like the spectrum of pride. There's the pride down this aisle of of thinking too much of our achievements, which is pride that's kind of fueled and fed by our success. But then paradoxically, right, there's pride in thinking too little of ourselves, wallowing in our failures, which is just pride disappointed. For most of us, I think at times we swing between the two. Pride fueled by our success, pride perhaps fueled by our failure and or thinking too little of ourselves. Pride will show itself in us, and we need to watch out. Otherwise, Mary's son will scatter us. Whether we're proud people who love to sit on thrones or rich people who care nothing at all for the poor, Mary's son Jesus wants us to repent, confess those things, come back to him. So a pregnant woman unexpectedly falls pregnant and that's, that's good news. Jesus comes, he disrupts our lives but brings delight. But we see that Jesus uh, for 2,000 years is this expected but unexpected saviour of the world. And we see here as well that Jesus turns the world upside down. So as we close, as we read this passage tonight together, as we learn from Mary's story, her story of and song of ecstatic joy and incredible astonishment, I want to say tonight, we're not just sort of eavesdropping on someone else's song, nor are we just sort of watching from a distance as someone else gets to unwrap a really great Christmas present and we're like, wow, I wish I could have part of that. If you put your trust and confidence in Jesus, this is your present. Jesus is God's gift to you. Jesus forgives your sins. Jesus comes to live in you by His Spirit, just as the Lord Jesus lived in Mary. God will do for every man, woman, or child who fears Him. Just what, she did, what He did for Mary, He'll do for you. Sins forgiven. Dwell in you by his spirit and lead you every step of the way to the new creation. So, as we sing this song with Mary, I think we can rejoice at God's kindness to her, yeah? But also, I think we ought to rejoice in God's unexpected kindness to us. That we who are far off have been brought near, that we who are nobodies from nowhere have been raised up and loved and freed. One of the questions that I had as I thought about this passage is, you know, Mary, right at the beginning, she says, my my soul magnifies the Lord, my soul praises the Lord. And I was thinking, like, you know, clearly she's done this and we've got what it looked like for her to do that. How do we do that? How do we do that this Christmas? You know, do we just get together next Saturday night and sing some carols? Is that how we're going to magnify the Lord? That's one way we can do it—to sing praises of God and His work of salvation in the world and in our lives. But you know what? One of the things that I think Mary does really well—she models for us—is that she just, she realizes her nobodiness. She kind of realizes her nowhereness, and yet she realizes just how wonderful God's mercy is, and she just rests and relaxes in that. And I think one of the great ways that you and I can magnify the Lord make him great is this Christmas, rest in Jesus, relax in Jesus, remembering his amazing mercy to you through song, through hospitality, through sharing the good news by praising his name. Let's pray together and ask God to help us to do that. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for that uh, infinite love which sent your Son, Jesus, to take human flesh and to be our Saviour. Father, we reflect tonight on how we can be proud of nothing. Uh, Father, all our achievements, all our morality, our respectability, our reputation for being good people ultimately count for nothing. Father, we turn tonight in the quietness of our own hearts from that pride that lurks deep in our hearts. Lord, we thank and praise you as Mary did, that you've reached down to us in our helpless state. And Father, by the wonder and mercy of Jesus, you've raised us up. You've forgiven our sins. You've filled us with so many good things in this life and for eternity. Father, this Christmas we pray that you would help us by your Spirit to come afresh to the news of the birth of a Saviour, finding in him all that we need, your light, your love and your life. And Lord, help us, we pray, to be lights in the darkness. Father, as we live in this world that is saturated with darkness, with death and, and discord and darkness, help us to be lights, proclaiming your good news. So Lord, by your spirit, help us this Christmas to live for Jesus, to love, for Je- love like Jesus and to relax in him. And by doing that, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to magnify your name, to exalt you, to praise you. So Lord, help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.